Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gender non-binary folks. Uh, we have missed every single one of you. Uh, sorry we've been gone from your ears so long, but this is 28 Days Later, and we're back with our uh, final, very delayed episode uh, for what we were doing in February, which was Women in Horror and Black History Month. I am your host, Sophie, joined, as always, by my co-host, Hannah. How are you, Hannah? I'm good. Um, I would just say, you know, as normal, like, don't speak for me. Um, I didn't miss anyone. Oh, yeah. Hannah was so grateful to not have to produce (laughs) content for you guys. And when I kept asking her if we could do a new episode, she was just getting really cagey. So honestly, it's a miracle that we're back here. I would just be like... What are you been talking about? I've never recorded a podcast in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. Uh, Hannah, how have you been? Obviously, uh, I think our listeners are smart enough and have been with us long enough to know that our absence has in, in large part been because you have finished your second semester of your master's program. Indeed. Um... Yes. And it's so funny because every time I get to say that, I have like such a burst of joy and excitement and then immediately followed by like a horrific punch in the gut when I'm like, yeah, but also, by the way, I have summer classes in uh, one week. (laughs) Yes, but you you need to relish this break while you have it. Oh, my God. Like. Yeah, it's all I have is this little break to be like, I did it. Um, yeah, and it was a real journey. Like, um, one of my final papers that I really, like, worked my butt off on where I had to interview um, two people and then, like, compare their experiences. Um, I worked so hard on this paper for, like, a week and a half. I probably put in like 12 hours total into this paper. And when I sent it to my professor, I was like, hey, last minute, the person I was, second person I was supposed to interview just like stopped answering my texts and emails. So I had to find someone else. So I interviewed a mother and a father instead of two mothers or two fathers. Um, And I was promptly emailed back by my professor basically saying, So sorry to hear about the trouble that you experienced. Unfortunately, I will only be able to give you half credit because you were supposed to do two mothers or two fathers. Oof. I mean, that's some gender normative bullshit that I don't like. So I was like, like, you can't compare. You can't possibly compare two parents that aren't the same gender because their jobs are so different. Basically, yeah. And I was like, I thought. I thought the whole point of this was, like, just talking about parenting. And I did that with both of them. So I don't understand. But, yeah, I mean, you you really love to hear that after you've literally cried over this paper and finished it and felt like, you know, you had completed the impossible. And then have your professor, without even reading it, be like, just just a quick heads up. It's only going to be half credit. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty um, pretty unfortunate. But um, that's okay because I've learned as I've been, like, deprogramming myself since being in grad school, grades don't matter in grad school, so who cares? I mean, hey, that's not that's not, not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, but Hannah, I know that you have, uh, you know, like you said, you're about halfway through your two week break of downtime. Have you been doing anything exciting in your time off? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I know what you're getting at. And, um, for the listener that I am very intentionally queuing her up. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so I, last week when I was like just fresh off the break or fresh off the semester, um, I was really excited to try to like get back out there with a social life of some kind. Um, and I had met a person through a friend who seemed really cool and, I was excited to hang out with this person um, and see, like, if, if this is just, like, a potential friend or something more. Um, and I knew that they were also in school. So I was like, oh, great. Somebody who really could understand, like, the plight of a grad student, which, by the mm-hmm. way, I know how annoying that is to say. Um, <laughs> my best friend Karen is also – in grad school, and we talk all the time about how, like, she was recently watching, um, 30, rewatching 30 Rock, and there's a part in it where Jack and Liz are talking about, like, who are the worst people, and then they both stop and go, oh, wait, no, grad students, grad students are the worst. Oh, man. So every that time. deep. I know. So every time we talk, we're always like, grad students, grad students are the worst. But, um, yeah, so I was like, great, another grad student that I can, like, vibe with. This is great. Um. And, yeah, I was like, this is great. Like, he thinks I'm really impressive. I love that in a person. Um, (laughs) And he came over to, like, hang out. And we ordered some food. And we were, like, smoking some weed. And um, pretty quickly after we started smoking, um, I'm also right now not – I'm on a journey where I'm, like, not drinking right now. Um, and since I'm not drinking, I'm kind of like getting a little bit more like back into weed. Um, and also just cause I'm on a break from school and normally I can't smoke very much while I'm in school because I can't like do my homework or anything. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and it just makes me sleepy and so does school. So, but anyway, so naturally I, right as I had like begun to feel the influences of these drugs, which are legal in my state, just so I'm putting that out there. Um, I said something where I was like, so what's your master's going to be in? And I was like, so what exactly is your master's going to be in? Because like he was also finishing his semester. And he was like, wait, what? You mean like my, I'm just getting like my degree. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how old are you? And I learned that um, the reason why I'm so impressive to this person is because he is 24. (laughs) Okay, I have a couple things to say. Now, these won't be new to Hannah because she's already heard me say them to her when she told me this story the first time. But I think it's really important to, like... I want to challenge that the way that I've heard you tell the story a couple times now and you always couch it in. Of course, the reason this person thinks I'm impressive is because they're younger than me or like the person, (laughs) the reason this person like respects me and sees 
like sees and acknowledge my successes is because they're younger than me. Um, I would just love to tell you that as someone who is older than you and already has their masters, I'm also really impressed by you and find you to be like a really successful, interesting person. Uh, so I, I just like, I would love you to set that as a goal for yourself that like someone who is also your age and just like on the same level as you emotionally can also think you're amazing and, and awesome. Well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> oh goodness history um, i mean history i literally has not been kind to that uh, i literally just suggestion. gave you an example i literally just gave you an example and it was me and i feel yes but sophie offended. you're my sister so you think i would just think you were a pile of trash if i didn't know you of course <laughs> i literally have a sign on my wall behind me at this very moment that my ex-boyfriend gave to me because he said it reminded him of me and it's a plaque that says garbage room (laughs) (sighs) well we've got work to do listeners we've got work to do if you want to send hannah um just some like motivational stuff or things that you appreciate about hannah uh, that can validate my point, you can, as always, tweet at I us. I don't, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't now want listeners being like, oh, Hannah, listen, I think I'm amazing. And sometimes, most of the times, that's enough for me. <laughs> I, sure. I just would say that as someone who knows you and knows a lot of people who know you, I don't think that you hold, like, a minority opinion there. <laughs> So Well, anyway, it was really funny because I thought, here I am, fresh off my semester, I'm going to get back out there, I'm going to, like, go for it, I'm going to, like, sow my wild oats, and then I was like, ah! And it was especially funny because I have a running joke with um, two of my best friends because also on a time in my life where I was like, I'm going to get out there and sow my wild oats. I went on a date with someone from a dating app and um, I met up with them with my two friends. Like we all met up at a bar and I was like, oh my God, aren't they great? Like, I think this person is so amazing. And then when they went to the bathroom, my friends were like, Hannah, that person is a hundred percent like, like 22 or 23 years old. (laughs) Um, And Joe, I mean, jokingly, they were like that person for that person. High school is not a distant memory. (laughs) (laughs) and and so that's the real marker that's when you're like oh boy yeah so I literally was on the phone with my friend earlier because I normally hang out with them on Sunday nights and so I was telling them like why I had to cancel our normal hang and my friend Ryan was like Joe because he always says this to me whenever I say I'm going on a date he was like did you check their ID and make sure they're not in high school this time and again, you know, I didn't, the person I went out with before wasn't actually in high school, but that's like our running joke. So also imagine, if you will, getting high and at the same moment that you're getting high, realizing that the person that you're hanging out with is significantly, or at least in your feeling, significantly younger than you. And you're like, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that like, yes, 27, I'm almost 28, and 24 are not that far off, but I just urge listeners to also consider, like, 
at this point, I've been out of college longer than I was in college. I've been out of college for over five years. Like, this person, as great as they are, was just graduating undergrad. And, like, that's amazing. And also, that's a whole place to be in in your life. And what I'm suggesting more is, like, where I am at in my life and where they are at in their life are so different. Like, even if yeah. the ages are not that far off, it's, like, that is where it was really tripping me up. Like, yeah. So I was just like, oh, okay. Like, a good a good amount of the evening was spent talking about, like, what are, what are they going to do with the rest of their life now that they've graduated college? Which is a great question and a normal thing to be wondering when you've just graduated college yeah but you're you're just in different places yeah I'm sitting here like I also had that question and I like worked on it figured it out over the course of several years specifically the first like two years after I graduated which at this point were three years ago so (laughs) we are just in very different places so you know it's just really funny because everybody I talk to where they're like, oh, you're done with your semester. Like, how are you celebrating? Um, I'm like, well, I'm not drinking right now, um, but I'm sleeping a lot. So I feel great about that. And you're going and- on dates with underage guys. <laughs> and, he was and, not underage. <laughs> and not underage. Just, yeah, I just want to make sure everybody knows that is just a joke part of this story. But, yeah, it's just so funny. Like, everybody I talk to is like, your semester's over, so you must be drinking and dating. And it's just so funny because I'm, like, I'm not really doing either of those things right now, but, like, thanks for being concerned, I guess. Like, I went, I worked, I also work a lot, and I worked the last two weekends, as you know. Um, But last weekend, the people I was working for came home three hours late um, without saying anything, they just like stopped answering my calls and then came home three hours late. And what was funny to me is that at that point it was like, just assumed like Hannah doesn't have a life so we can just come home whenever we want. And then I was working for them yesterday. And like, before they left, they were like telling me like some new people started at the office where one of them works. And they were wondering if they could like give the person my number. And I'm like, what is happening where, like, the people who I work for are, like, trying to set me up with random people that they know just because they're, like, in the orbit of my age group? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this your way of, like, atoning for assuming I have no life? Like, you want to create one for me? I don't know. But, yeah, so that's where I'm at. It's going great. <laughs> Everything is going great. I mean, I think what's important to remember is, like, yeah, those those people are dumb. And the bigger, honestly, the bigger thing is that, like, you are getting to spend some time resting. Uh, and you get to come back to this podcast. Exactly. Which I know is all you've been wanting uh, as we established <laughs> up top. She couldn't stop saying, when are we going to get back on the podcast train? Always. And I want to say, I don't think that those people are dumb. I think that they just, like, their heart is in the right place. But I have reached a point in my life, especially, I think, you know, you know, and I'm not putting this on you, per se, Sophie, 
But definitely being the younger sister or just the, yeah, I mean, being the younger sister in a family where everybody else is in a serious relationship and or already married and or getting married, I have noticed in the last maybe two years of my life that there's like a shift in other people's uh, feel like concern for me of like, like I'm getting a lot of like, I have this friend or like this young person just started working in my office. Like a lot of, a lot of that has been uh, popping up for me recently. And again, I think those people, their heart is in the right place, but it's also like, I'm like, yo, calm down. I'm only 27. (laughs) Okay. To be clear, I meant the people who are dumb are the folks that you worked for who came home three hours late and were incredibly disrespectful of your time. I know, Uh, but I also don't feel comfortable saying that about them. So I am gonna just, you know. That's fine. You're not saying it. I am. (laughs) Um, the, The other thing I would say is like the unfortunate reality that I think you will find is like as you get older and like like if you're people are never going to stop asking you those nosy questions once you're in a relationship they're going to say when are you guys going to get married and once Mm -hmm. you're married they're going to say when are you guys going to have kids and once you have kids they're going to say well are you going to have another one and when are you going to do that i mean uh unfortunately i think uh for better or worse we all sort of have to deal with those like Probably well-meaning, but incredibly nosy <laughs> questions. Yeah. Uh, in one way or another. And it's, even if they think that they're being nice, right? Like, it's always coming from a place of, like, I know what is the right thing for you, or, like, this thing would be better for you, or, like, your life is somehow insufficient in some way. And just, like, you know, we're all doing the best we can. Um, we You had earlier accidentally presented a really awesome segue for me, but we've walked way out of it. So uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say that since the last time that we recorded... We'll just rewind it like... Yeah. Everyone get in your way back machine and go back to the time where Hannah was talking about how weed is legal where she lives in mm-hmm. the state of Illinois. Um, and I was just going to say that uh, since the last time we recorded, I have officially gotten my uh medical marijuana card here in missouri uh i am high uh as we record and it's just (laughs) been really delightful um i've also been trying to cut back on my drinking and so having the option to like use marijuana again in a way that is safe and legal is super exciting so um yeah it's been really good for my anxiety and just like my mood overall and uh i'm really excited to see how uh podcasting on gummies goes yeah dude i agree like it's a really interesting thing to be able to like use it recreationally and responsibly (laughs) right because that's just not the experience we've ever had (laughs) so yeah so that's pretty cool um anyway we've had such a fun long intro because we uh Well, I won't speak for Hannah. I missed you guys. Um, So we're back this week. Like I said, this is going to be our last film in our uh, very, very drawn out, I will say, um, Women in Horror Month and Black History Month special. Uh, And the movie that we're doing is Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Night. 
Now, I wanted to say right up top that it's kind of funny because when Hannah and I first kind of bled out of February into March, we were like, oh, well, March is Women's History Month. So like, we're still kind of like staying on theme. And you know, now it's May. So here we are. Uh, it's spring. But uh, I was really excited for us to watch this movie. And what uh, did I say? I said we should just, I mean, basically our whole podcast or a big part of it is trying to like amplify like women in horror and people of color in horror. So I was like, we could just keep it going forever and just be like, if you expected that only to last a month, then you're in the wrong place. Well, of course, but I think <laughs> like the, the point of doing it in the month is to try to like do it in a way that's intentional and highlights it maybe than we do on a regular basis. That's fair. Um, so folks who have listened to the podcast probably remember at, I think, multiple points, Hannah and I both talking about the documentary Horror Noir, um, which is based off um, Robin Means Coleman's book, Horror Noir. Um, so I first heard about this movie in watching Horror Noir. Um, I had never seen it. And Hannah, I think it's safe to say that you had also never seen it. Is that correct? I had never seen it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this movie is directed by Ernest R. Dickerson. Um, he's a black man. If you've watched Horror Noir, he's, uh, interviewed there he's sort of like one of the talking heads in the documentary and one of the things that's so cool about that documentary is you realize how many movies you watch and that you've seen that you just didn't realize had black people helming them either as directors or producers or writers um again it's not nearly as much as it could or should be but you know for example i learned uh when we watch this movie. So Ernest Dickerson is a director and cinematographer. He's probably best known for collaborating quite a bit with Spike Lee. Um, but he's also directed a lot of television episodes, including episodes of The Wire, Once Upon a Time, Dexter, and The Walking Dead. So clearly, like, this is a guy whose work I've seen. I just didn't really have a lot of awareness of him um, before watching Horror Noir. So... Demon Knight is a 1995 film, feature-length film, presented by Tales from the Crypt. Like I said, it was written by Ernest Dickerson and written by Ethan Reif and Cyrus Voris. It stars Jada Pinkett Smith, who at the time was just Jada Pinkett, as Geraldine. Um, and then we have Billy Zane as the collector, William Sadler as Breaker. We have CCH Pounder as Irene, Thomas Hayden Church as Roach. I mean, the like cast for this is pretty awesome. Actually, really good cast. Yeah, like yeah. When I was watching the opening credits. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, the cast was really exciting. Um, and essentially the movie is about this man named Breaker. Um, he is... Uh, he has a very important task, which I'm sure will spoil towards the end, but I'm not going to give it away quite yet. Uh, and he's sort of on the run from this mysterious guy who's only known as the Collector, and he's played by Billy Zane. And while he's running away, Breaker ends up in this really small town called Wormwood, New Mexico. He ends up at this motel that appears to... Like, they refer to it as a hotel, but it seems to be much more like a boarding house. Like, the folks that are there, for the most part, are there long-term... Um, yeah, and they refer to it also as the mission a couple times. Yeah, because it used to be a church. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that building, that establishment is run by CCH Pounder. She plays a woman named Irene. Uh, we have 
a disgruntled mailman who works there named Wally. We have a sex worker named Cordelia. Um, and then the other main uh, resident or staff member that we meet is Jada Pinkett as uh, Geraldine. And she, or Geraldine, because they kind of pronounce it like Geraldine. Uh, yeah. She's on work release from prison and she's working there. Uh, and sort of the setting we get right initially is that uh, she's sort of overworked by Irene, overworked and underappreciated. So these folks all sort of get stuck in this building together overnight and have to try to survive. Um, so we'll get into that, obviously, as we go. But Hannah, what did you think of this movie? Did you have experience before this with other Tales from the Crypt properties? Or was this your first foray? And what did you think? Um, well, I... The only thing I had really, only history I have with Tales from the Crypt is being a kid and like, I think it used to come on late at night on TV and I remember sometimes like the opening, seeing the Crypt Keeper as a kid would scare me. Um, uh-huh. Like that opening where he pops out of the casket, I remember very vividly from a kid, from being a kid. But then I also remember like watching stuff where they would reference it in, like, pop culture review shows and right. seeing that, like, the Crypt Keeper was really more of, like, a joke character. Um, so, like, I was familiar with, like, the Crypt Keeper as a pop culture figure. Yeah. But I hadn't seen any episodes or movies. Um, and I will say that I was initially concerned, um, as I always am, when, I, when a movie starts off and I like see in the opening credits that there's like three writers yeah um i'm always like uh-oh. <laughs> um so initially i was like oh boy buckle up um but at the same time like i was excited about the cast and i had heard from i like i had heard of this movie before as being one worth seeing so um yeah, mostly I was more familiar with like the lore around this movie in particular and Tales from the Crypt in general, but not actually familiar with it beyond that. Yeah. So what did you think of this movie? Give me give me like the bullet points. Um, so I thought it was really fun. I love a movie with practical effects. Like, yeah, I feel like we've both expressed that on this podcast before. Um, and this movie, I really enjoyed the practical effects. Like it was kind of at times I felt like the story itself was kind of like I didn't super understand it or maybe I did, but I didn't feel like it was like really fleshed out as much as it could have been. Sure. Um, and for me, I was okay with that because I was like, this, if anything, feels like the story is an excuse to make these cool effects. And I can get down with that. Like, I can be okay with that in a movie. Um, so, like, it was a pretty cheesy 1995 horror movie, you know? Like, it's a movie of its time. Um, mm-hmm. But I really did enjoy the performances were really good. Um, I thought, like, because, you know, when the setup was happening, I was like, okay. So I was a little worried, like, you know, it's a group of 
characters and they're trapped in a place overnight. So every character is going to be like a total caricature or just like a cardboard cutout of one characteristic. And I think it's a credit to probably the directing as well as the acting that I, it didn't feel that way. Um, that the characters were actually like interesting and more rounded than I was expecting. So I really enjoyed that. Um, like I think the ensemble act, like the ensemble crew and the, and the effects like made it a worthwhile watch. Whereas like the story and, uh, I don't know, like some of the, just some of like the vibe of it. Otherwise I could have seen it like totally crash and burning and being like awful to watch. So yeah. th that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm sort of in the same boat as you. I was texting with a friend last night while I watched this and, you know, they were saying, oh, I've never seen any of the Tales from the Crypt stuff. And I said, I actually haven't either. Uh... I, I, it's one of those things I've talked on this podcast about the fact that I came to horror kind of late in life. Um, I think that's true for you too. Like we didn't watch a lot of this stuff when we were really young. And so a lot of the stuff. I don't think that's true for me because I used to watch the ABC family 13 nights of Halloween when I was like eight years old. I guess that's true, but I feel like I know a lot of, I guess what I'm talking about more specifically is like people in my age bracket, especially, and a little older than me, that, like, their whole childhood was, like, going to get scary movies at the video store and watching, you know, Friday the 13th and Jason and ha and Halloween when they were, like, five or six. Mm. And, you know, reading Stephen King when they were in elementary school. Like, that's sort of the model that I think is really common amongst not all, but certainly a large portion of horror fans that are around my age. Um, and, like I said, maybe a little older, too. And so I always feel like I came to this stuff late. Like, yes, I watched some scary stuff when I was younger and I started watching horror in earnest in high school. But even that to me feels late when compared to some of my friends. Uh -huh. um, so I had, like you, I sort of had an awareness of the Crypt Keeper as like a pop culture icon, but had never seen anything from this. So yeah, um, I'm with you where I sort of had no awareness of this movie in specific until I watched uh, Horror Noir. And of course, uh, as a horror fan, I have always loved Jada Pinkett for her very short, but very impactful uh, cameo role that she plays in Scream 2. And so I was super excited to see a movie where she, for all intents and purposes, gets to be the final girl. I mean, her whole bit in Scream 2 is about how horror movies are just like dumb white folks like doing dumb shit and they kill off all the people of color. And so it's really cool to get to watch a movie that A, has a semi-diverse cast in time in terms of age and race. I mean, it's a, it's a small cast, but at least, it, you know, Jada Pinkett's not the only non-white person in the movie. She's not the only person of color. Um, and she gets to be the one who survives and ultimately uh, gets to carry on the adventure. So I agree. And I'm so with you about the practical effects. The practical effects in this are really fun. I'm sure there are some specific ones that we'll talk about. Um, but it also has a great uh score i thought like there are parts where the score sounded very like bernard herman-esque mm -hmm. like 
it sounded like you were getting some real like uh, psycho and vertigo vibes, and directorially um, with an inexplicable amount of like panther growling <laughs> mixed in. Oh yeah, we'll get in so much wildcat sounds. Um, <laughs> but yeah, also um, uh, something I loved visually is like you talked about the practical effects. This has some really serious Sam Raimi vibes, and mm-hmm. I loved it. Like, there's a lot about the design of the monsters and the way they move and some of the camera angles and the sort of, like, weird, dark comedy vibe of this that feels very Evil Dead to me in a way that, like, I'm such a sucker for. So um, so that was really fun. Uh, let's, before we get into the movie proper, let's talk about the weird little cold open that's like uh, the Crypt Keeper directing a movie. Um, what yeah. did you think about that? It's funny because a favorite movie of mine is the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And there is a, uh, like a cutaway in that movie where Robert Downey Jr. is at a party in LA and he meets... Uh, and a girl comes up to him and says she's an actress. And when she says, I'm an actress, it does like a cutaway. And the cutaway is her topless screaming. And then she gets like smacked in the face by like a monster arm. <laughs> and watching the cold open of this movie, I was like dying laughing. Cause I was like, that's like basically what this is. <laughs> like yeah. it's exactly that. It's like the origin of that joke. Like the amount of unnecessarily topless women in this movie was not surprising. <laughs> yeah. And it starts right from the jump. Like the right cold from the open. Jump. The cold open is this movie. Like you don't realize that it's a cold open at the beginning. And so you have this cold opening happening. Or sorry, this cold open happening where there's just like... Uh, this woman who's like very scantily clad and she's like really horned up about how she murdered her husband and she says twice in less than five minutes got like it gets me hot (laughs) and then she follows it up by saying that she's hot and squishy which i really disgusting did not like disgusting um, you know what? I'll take moist any day over squishy if we're talking about vaginas ew um so yeah, and then she goes and gets in the bath naked, and then uh, the her husband's corpse comes and murders her. And like Played I'm gonna by be one honest, of the actors from Night Court. <laughs> oh, I did not realize that. I just want to put hilarious. that out there. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really loved about this actually uh, was like the I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, like the the shift when you realize that that's a scene that's being directed and the, the Crypt Keeper is like, cut! And the director is like, who is this guy? Or the actor is like, who is this guy? That made me laugh. But because I only know about this movie from people recommending it on Horror Noir, um, and because I just don't know anything about, uh, about uh, Tales from the Crypt, I was really shocked by the boobs. And I was like, oh man, is the movie going to be like this? Like, it's just mm-hmm. going to be super, like unnecessarily exploitative of women for no reason. And then like, honestly, it is, that scene is super exploitative. I would say that the later scene is also very exploitative, but fits within a movie that I think isn't. Like we can Uh talk later about how Jada Pinkett is shot 
uh, later in the film when she's like in underwear and a tank top. Like, I think that's really not gazy in a way that is pretty surprising for the rest of this movie. But yeah, those boobs really put me off in the opening scene. I know. I'm like, no, what? You know how when you, you know how when you like take a bath and you only fill the water to just below your boobs? It just seems so, (laughs) like, it would be so unpleasant. It would be like, Having the sensation of underboob sweat, and it would be but you cold. can't dry it to have your yeah, whole your body in warm cold. water except for your nipples. Like, <laughs> okay, wait. Now that's a very different visual, but a very funny one. Like, <laughs> her head and neck and shoulders are all underwater. Just her nipples. Are I just out. mean like, if you're a girl, you know the feeling of like when you're getting into a bathtub and when you first right. put your foot in, and it's like your foot is really hot but then it makes kind of or maybe this is just me because I have learned from discussing the way that my body reacts to certain things that I think some of my wires are crossed like if I put my foot in really cold water I get like a ringing in my ear and sometimes when I really have to poop my teeth hurt interesting sometimes (laughs) when I drink really cold liquids I get like a really sharp pain in my collarbone but Dear friend of the podcast, Mikey, who is a doctor, explained that to me. So next time you're on a Zoom with him, you should ask him about your teeth I want to ask him about my cross, my cross signals. But He would love to talk to you about <coughs> anything related to poop. Shit, but, sorry. Yeah. I sneeze. <laughs> sorry, that sneeze came out of nowhere. I didn't have any time to react. Um, anyway, I was just going to say, like, for me at least, and I feel like this is a somewhat universal experience. Uh-oh, I'm going to sneeze again. Oh, I didn't realize you muted, and I was like, that was a very impressive stop. <laughs> no, I muted myself. Sorry, I'm trying to, like, I don't know. I don't know what we're... Oh, fuck, I feel like I'm going to sneeze again. What is happening to me? <laughs> I'm keeping all of this in. <laughs> this is wild. Oh, my God. I'm so oh sorry. Okay. Okay. Hannah well. hasn't sneezed in months. She's just been holding it up for the pod. <laughs> like how I was literally saying, like, I think some of my wires got crossed, and then I proceeded to sneeze three times in rapid succession. But anyway, what I mean is that sometimes when you're a lady and you're getting into the bathtub, you put your foot in, and, like, your foot is warm, but then it kind of sends, like, a shiver through your body because then the rest of your body is like, ah, still cold out here in the air. And then you have to, like, slowly, like, lower your body into the hot water so you don't, like, shock yourself too quickly. Yeah. and You got to let your body acclimate. Yes. And, like, when you're getting into a hot body of water or a cold body of water, like, you feel it a lot when you get your vagina in the water. And then after you that hurdle, you got to, like, get your boobs into the water. And obviously that's harder <laughs> with cold water. But with hot water, too, like... When your whole body is in the hot water and you're, like, lowering your boobs in there, your boobs get, like, super cold right before they get into the water because they're, like, the last part of your body that's, like, hanging on to being cold in the air. So, anyway, for all the ladies out there, I'm just putting it out there. Like, does anybody ever take a bath where they don't submerge their boobs? Because to me that sounds like basically, like, putting yourself in, like, brain freeze but of the tits for like a prolonged period of time (laughs) you know I I had I had a whole list of things we might talk about on this episode at no point 
Did I think we were going to spend this much time on cold breasts uh, in the bath? But I'm really glad that we're here. And uh, yeah. I like that after this long, I still keep you guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hannah. You never know what. I never know what I'm going to get. Yeah, so we get get through this... uh, and I have to say, like, in the cold open, the other thing that jumped out at me just for another fun Sam Raimi tie-in is, like, the way that the Crypt Keeper as the director walks towards the camera is very stilted. Like, the effect is very stilted. And it looks so much like the way that the skeletons move in Army of Darkness uh, that I was like, I know that probably has more to do with just the effects that were available at the time. But especially since so much of the movie after that ends up feeling very... Um, very Sam Raimi, it like felt intentional that they that they had this, you know, guy walking like the skeletons in Army of Darkness and sort of like just looking very like stilted and weird looking. Um, but we get into the opening of the movie and Billy Zane is chasing Breaker. Uh, this is our second Billy Zane movie, Hannah. And I read in the IMDb trivia that this was his favorite performance of his. Now, I don't know how recent that is. He may have changed his mind. I um, honest, I believe that. I was like, this this is the role that he was born to play. This is the role that Billy Zane was chiseled out of stone to play. <laughs> um, did you know that another thing I read on the IMDU trivia is, like you said, he was born to play this role. He seems to be having a really good time playing this role. The scene where he, like, opens his mouth and a sponge unfurls, Mm -hmm. that was not in the script. He just suggested it. (laughs) It is by far the most, it's honestly one of the most shocking things in the entire film. It's one of the most bonkers scenes in the entire film. And that's in a film where at one point Billy Zane punches an entire hole through someone's head. Oh my God. So it was his idea. That makes that was me his think, idea. Do you think he practiced it ahead of time to confirm he that he must. could fit a whole sponge in his mouth? or And unfurl it like that. Like, guys, if you haven't seen this movie, watch it because it's fun. But even if you can't watch it, just find a clip of Billy Zane. Because he must have it rolled up super tight like a yoga mat in his mouth. And when he opens his mouth, it unfurls like a cartoon red carpet. But then stays in his mouth like he's just holding it with his teeth. And it's crazy. <laughs> it was i was like that was one of the moments that i was like was that special effects like how did they do that like the way that it unrolled with such ease i was like was that like stop motion or did he really do that all in one smooth motion (laughs) yeah so now you know pretty pretty cool Hello? Sorry, I really bl- I really blew your mind with the sponge fact. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, did Sophie just drop out? Um, no, yeah, I love that. And I, I really, I have a love for Billy Zane, um, especially because I've been re-watching, like, all of Psych recently, and... Is he in Psych? No, but he's referenced constantly, because... Oh, um, okay. Sean Spencer, James Rodriguez, he uses a lot of, uh, like, references to him. Or he's just always talking about Billy Zane. Um, so it, it was when I started this movie and saw his name in the credits, I was like, all right, here we go. Um, I also And have- he was in one of our first movies, right? I mean, The Roommate was... 
Oh, yeah. Really early on. And um, God damn it, if he didn't look damn near the same in that movie. <laughs> I, I have to ask, because we sort of uh, talked on that episode about his choice of wearing a very, very jaunty hat and scarf in every scene. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film, his fashion statement of choice are these very 90s sunglasses that look like they might be women's sunglasses. I'm not mad at it. They fit his face really nicely, but they're just... <laughs> very dated um and i'm wondering which works more for you on on a billy zane do you like the sunglasses or the hat and scarf or are you really more of a both and kind of girl i have to say that i assumed because of how often he was wearing the sunglasses and how often it was very dark there were no lights on when he had the sunglasses on i was like this to me feels like a choice that he probably especially hearing that it was his idea to the sponge thing i feel like the glasses were definitely (laughs) his idea um, and I'm pretty sure that the hats and scarves had, had to be, to be his, his idea, idea as well. In the roommate. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I think, honestly, if, if I had to choose between the sunglasses or the hats and scarves, I would actually choose Billy Zayden in the cowboy hat with the trench coat. <laughs> Ooh, girl, that was not an option because who wouldn't pick that? My God. <laughs> that was so funny. When he first appeared early, like a couple minutes into the movie in a cowboy hat, I was like, what is happening? I was like, okay, this movie's going to be bonkers and I'm ready for it. And were you also like, oh, that got me all hot and squishy. Ugh, good God. I have to say, (laughs) as a person who is genuinely attracted to vaginas and like enjoys them sexually, I was like, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Even I was like, ew, squishy, gross. (laughs) Please, no. Um, I also have to say, too, that that part was not a part that I was like, oh, wow, super hot. But I did feel a little bit like the part when the cop walked in on Cordelia electrocuting Thomas Hayden Church's nipples. Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, more, more. (laughs) Then I was kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, is this something I should add to my repertoire? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Also, Thomas Hayden Church in this movie, even though he was, like, a pretty awful dude, when he was first introduced, he didn't seem... I mean, he kind of was slowly revealed to be, like, the worst. But in the beginning when he showed up, I was like, oh, hello, to, like, young Thomas Hayden Church with long hair like a rolled-up sleeve Hawaiian shirt, and I think leather pants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of it was working. And in some scenes, his hair was in, like, the. some of it was in a ponytail in the back, and in some scenes it was all down, but it looked good both ways. It was great. Um, and he was just, yeah, like, was full, like, full unbridled Thomas Hayden Church. Like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that we have... You know, we've been recording for, like, getting close to an hour. We have barely gotten into this movie. And I know this note is from really early on, but I have to say, this movie takes place in New Mexico, but when they find the two uh, cars that are, like, busted up and on fire from where Billy Zane ran into uh, William Sadler's car, and they're like, the the license plates are from Maryland and New Jersey. I was like, woohoo! I got so excited. As a as a mid Atlanticer, I was like, "Oh, they're from our neck of the woods. How fun! Those busted up cars are from where I'm from." <laughs> okay. Um, 
Okay, so let's get to my next note, which is punch through the head is a great practical effect. And I love how hard it is to get the head off his hand. Yeah. Uh, so when Billy Zane reveals that he's a demon, he punches right through the deputy's face, like punches his, his entire fist through the guy's whole head, which has happened in movies before, right? And then they pull, or like through the chest or something, and they pull their arm right back out. And then there's just a hole. But <laughs> this leads to Billy Zane having to work for like three or four minutes to get the head off of his arm, mm-hmm. which was so funny. Yeah, yeah, and it was like the uh, and the initial shock of everyone in the room of him punching through someone's head, and then the shift of like being shocked still, but also being like horrified to another degree yes. of watching yes. him just trying to get the head off of his hand. <laughs> yeah, like like they all know they're in danger, but they also can't stop watching him. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. So this is when shit sort of goes down and they still don't really understand who Breaker is or why he's there. Um, but he's telling them, like, we can't leave the building. We're in danger. They're going to do everything they can to get in. Um, so it becomes really stressful for a while. And that gets us into sort of the the meat uh, of the movie, if you will. Um, and, of course, all along, Billy Zane is trying to tempt people to let him in. And he doesn't mean physically let them into the building. He means, like, let them inside of him. And then they sort of become, um, they become demons. They're very similar to deadites in, uh, in Evil Dead. But, uh, the first time we see this Hannah is when Cordelia is standing in her window and he is standing outside her window, talking to her psychically and touching her with, his mind Mm -hmm. and it like that was a very cool effect he like brushes a tear away from her eye Mm -hmm. which was very obviously a fan and good for her for not blinking because it looked really tough (laughs) um but they do one where he like runs his fingers across her lips and her lips are like depressed as he does it yeah that was and i don't know how they did that that was really awesome yeah i i agree and I would even go as far as to say, you know, it might not have even been an effect. I think that's just what happens when Billy Zane looks at women. Or men. That was happening to both of us the entire time. The whole movie, our lips were just like moving around. (laughs) He was like, I have this idea where I want to unfurl a sponge from my mouth. And also, um, did I ever tell you about how when I talk to people, I can also brush tears off their faces and touch their lips without touching them? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty magical. It was also very disorienting for me every time someone said Cordelia because I only know that name because of Buffy. And every time I was like, that's not my Cordelia. Yeah, I also like... So I that part of the movie marked a different turn for me too because up until that point... That was also kind of when I realized, like, oh, this movie is not going to be as, like, trash as I was expecting. Like, in the beginning, certainly the way a lot of characters were being introduced was very, like, bald and, like, you know, like, the cops were like, let's just shoot them and ask questions later. And, like, the... uh, 
what was the the postal worker guy? You know. Oh yeah. He was the like Wally. he was like oh I just love her so much she doesn't even see. Like, that was kind of, like, me being, like, oh, okay, so I get it. It's going to be a bunch of people, and every character is going to be, like, a ridiculous caricature. And that scene when Billy Zane punched a hole through the guy's head actually also, like, marked when all of that kind of changed. Like, yeah. the characters, like, the, the cops were certainly being introduced as being, like, total dipshits and being like very gun happy and especially the like the secondary cop who ended up being yeah, the like deputy. yeah who ended up actually being like one of the more like sympathetic characters as the movie went on um or at least like you know like he was like genuinely trying to protect people and like work with people and, and not just like order everybody around um, but yeah, I think that that moment also was like, you got to see a couple other characters moving beyond what they were initially introduced as. Um, right. And I appreciated that too. Like, that's kind of when I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. Like, it's not going to be as like cut and dry as I expected. Although I didn't love that Cordelia's arc was basically like her boyfriend um uh or Thomas Hayden Church his name was Roach. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he was her boyfriend. I think he's a John. I guess that I think they sort of like they laid it out that he comes by like once a week for to uh use her services. Yeah. But it seemed like she also had feelings for him. Um but I didn't love that that was also part of it too was like when Billy Zane is like trying to get to her, he was basically being like you know, like, you're lonely and you just want to be loved and, like, that's why you're a sex worker. And Yeah, that vibe was very paternalistic and not... Yeah, and it was like, if you just turn... If you just come to my side, then you'll always be loved. And I was like, I don't want that to be her... <laughs> her motivation. Um, but... Yeah, like, that also... I don't know, like, I was really expecting this movie to be, like, trash when I started it, because it was 1995, and there was boobs right off the bat, and I was, like, really buckling up for it to be, like, boring, or just what I expected it to be, and I really enjoyed, like, the ensemble cast and the way that they worked together, yeah, same. I totally agree. Um, it's funny when you talk about Thomas Hayden Church, like I took a, a note uh, because we both have been My Favorite Murder listeners at, at various times in our lives. I took a note at one point where I just wrote toxic masculinity ruins the party again because he throughout the movie is like very insistent that uh, more insistent than anyone else that they shouldn't be listening to Breaker, even though it seems pretty clear. I mean, I understand being frustrated. They don't really know what's going on. Um, but throughout the movie, Roach is like, why are you even listening to this guy? It's his or his fault we're in the problem we're in in the first place, which may very well be true. But as of now, he's also the only person keeping you alive. Yeah. And so there's, you know, uh, Breaker is able to set barriers to keep the keep the demons out mm -hmm. and 
he almost instantaneously uh, shoots a gun through one of the seals and breaks it, thereby making everyone vulnerable because he just can't, like, be... He just can't, and 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 the reason that he's trying to shoot one of the demons or whatever is like for revenge because it wounded his masculinity. Like it's just mm-hmm. so annoying. Like he's terrible throughout the movie. I think we can all agree. But um, that scene in particular was like your ego is so fragile that you would rather put everyone at danger than seem like a little bit less of a man. Yeah. Well, and even seconds. when he turns on the group, like his his motivation is like all they want is this key. So if I give them the key, they'll kill everybody but let me go free. So yeah. it's like, yeah, he obviously doesn't care about anybody else. Yeah, and at the very beginning, he shoves, um, he he like when he and Cordelia are in danger because she's trying to keep him from leaving the house, and he sh- like something attacks them. He shoves her out towards the monster yeah. and goes back inside. Yeah, after he insisted that she come with him in the first place. Yeah, he's terrible from top to bottom. Um, But yeah, I totally agree with you about sort of fleshing out most of the other characters. I mean, I really liked, um, they really, uh, they don't don't lay out CCH Pounder as a character that you're going to enjoy spending time with anyway. Um, but she's great. Like her arm gets ripped off at one point. And so she, at <laughs> in, a, in a certain sequence is like holding out the stump of her arm mm-hmm. to Billy Zane and tells him that she's giving him the middle finger. Like it's so good. Yeah. And I did, I really appreciated that when she sacrificed herself with the, with the deputy guy that they like, mm-hmm put their arms around each other in, like, a very, like, you know, like, a really actually, like, in, like, sincere way. Yeah. There was a lot of solidarity. Yes, exactly. And I appreciated that. Like, I appreciated the way that the, like, my expectation was basically, like, this ensemble is going to be, like, a group of Thomas Hayden churches where it's, like, everybody is in it for themselves and they're just going to all be fighting this whole movie about like who's right, who's wrong, who's going to be like in charge, whatever, whatever. And it was so not like that. Like Roach was really the only one doing that. And everybody else was like, let's stick together. Let's take care of each other. Um, Yeah. And honestly, like, I think there's a conversation to be had about, uh, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about race while we talk about this movie. And one of the things I want to mention is um, I have, been uh, slowly going through the sunken place course that Tanana Reeve do and her husband, Stephen Barnes uh, did through, you know, through mastery. It's, it's basically an online version of the class that she taught at UCLA. And they were talking about, you know, tropes of black characters in horror movies. And one of them obviously is the sacrificial Negro, right? Like a black character who sacrifices themselves in a situation that doesn't really make a lot of sense to save a white character like Scatman Crothers in The Shining, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like gives up his vacation, goes into a situation that he knows will likely be life-threatening and immediately gets killed. Um, It was really... Despite the fact that he also has the shine. Correct. (laughs) Um, It was really cool to see in this movie that like CCH Pounder does sacrifice herself, but she's not alone. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's like her and the the police officer are fighting off the the evil. Like it's just nice to see that and, the, the, and the excuse is not like the it's not like okay, well this this one black character is gonna have to sacrifice themselves for everyone else. Yeah, and by and um in that moment because it's like she has this like necklace of grenades that they found in um why can't I remember that guy's name? So for Wally, Wally, I keep the, wanting the, the post office. Wally, the I keep wanting yeah. to call him like Zippy or something. <laughs> or I mean, Lenny. honestly, call him whatever you want. I I complete. I can't tell you how many times I have forgotten that that was a character. Yeah, he was. Movie. Yeah, um, but when she comes down with the necklace, the deputy is like, is basically like, give back to me, I'll do it. And then she is like, this is my home. Like this is I. This is my. Of, since we can't really determine exactly what it is, hotel, mission. <laughs> right. Boarding house, whatever. It's her space. But she's like, this is space. mine. And she's like, I'm going to do this with you. Um, yeah, like, I I found that to be so much more enjoyable of an end for two characters than, yeah, if it had just been, like, inexplicably, like, her just being like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think that's and like a good I said, I really like the way they put their arms around each other before they did it. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like sexual or any. It was like friendly, you know. Like like he put his arm kind of around her shoulders, and she put her good arm like around his waist, and then or maybe yeah, she like it was touched like his were, arm. Like there was so much solidarity. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually think that's a really good point, Hannah, to to highlight the fact that she wasn't sacrificing herself for anybody. She was like, this is my space and I'm protecting my space and you can join me if you want to, mm-hmm. but I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's interesting because um in the in the lesson on the sunken place where they talk about the sacrificial Negro, Stephen Barnes sort of talks about the idea that like, it's very common. It's an incredibly common trope in movies for a black character to sacrifice themselves for white characters, especially white characters that like they barely know Mm -hmm. and don't, don't have, don't owe anything to. Um, And he was like, I don't have a problem with the sacrifice. The problem is that, like, it never goes the other way. You don't see movies where white protagonists are sacrificing themselves to save an all-black group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think that that is the case for the most part, it was cool to immediately after that watch a movie where this white man, he doesn't have to kill, he doesn't have to die in this moment, right? But he's like, I'm not gonna let her die alone. Yeah. And one of the people he's protecting is Geraldine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I just, again, it is absolutely, it doesn't refute that that pattern is uh, incredibly rare and probably happens a minuscule amount of times. And this is obviously a complicated example of it. But it was cool to see to see that in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And even like um, with uh, Breaker being the person who's sort of like de facto in charge, um, the deputy is like to him is like, no, you need to live. Like you are the only one who like knows what's going on. He's like, you get up there too. like, let me take care of this. Like, right. It wasn't. Yeah. It, again, it was like, let's, we have to protect the collective group as opposed to 
everybody for themselves. Right. Yeah, like you said, it's something that we don't get to see in horror movies as often as we might like, where it seems like with the exception of Roach, everyone else in this group is really interested in doing what is the best for the largest amount of people, yeah. which is cool. Um, I have to call out another, um, another potential reference to a, a, a different horror movie. It might have been totally by accident, but... When Uncle Willie's head gets decapitated from his body, but he's still a demon and his head is evil, <laughs> um, the boy like rams his head into oh, yeah. some antlers, and it is very Lost Boys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially because it's a little boy with so long happy. hair, which reminded me too of um, the little boy from Lost Boys. Oh, a hundred percent, and you get like. The sh- even the way that the um, even the way that like the workbench looks with the antlers is like laid out just like the workbench in Lost Boys. It was it was pretty great. I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, like in general, this movie was fun to watch and surprising to watch. Like in that it didn't end up being what I thought it was going to be. Even though it's like, you know, it's still a product of its time and it's not perfect. It was still pretty. It had a lot of, it had a lot of, a lot of good, good gems and good qualities. Yeah. So let's just take a little bit. I know we're getting close to the end of our conversation, but I want to take like a significant chunk of time here at the, at the close to sort of talk about Geraldine as yes. a character because obviously she's why we picked this movie right like mm-hmm. this is a movie that gets held up when people talk about black final girls um and so I want to talk about that and like I said in watching the uh sunken place uh specials the the lectures one of the things that they talk about and Tanana do specifically you know quotes this as being a theory that Robin Means Coleman talks about in her book horror noir but there, there's this idea that there's black horror and then there are blacks in horror. And that's two different things, right? Like, Get Out is a black horror movie. That is a movie that, like, is centering the stories of black people and the black experience and black characters. And that is very different than this, which is, I would argue, not a black horror movie, but certainly is a horror movie with black characters that I think does some interesting things with race. Um so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, tell me what you thought of Geraldine. Um, I think she's also someone whose character, when it was originally introduced, I was like, oh, it's going to be one way, and then it was different. Um, like, you know, in the beginning, she's yelling at everybody. Everybody's yelling at her. Um, she's, like, not doing... Like, I think she was introduced like a punk kid who's, like, not doing the work that she's supposed to be doing. Um, And so I was expecting it to be like, oh, she's going to be kind of just like this, like, punk kid with, like, a, like, an attitude to everybody. Um, And then, especially with, like, how she is with her cat, she was much more, like, caring and um, insightful than I think that she was originally introduced as. So I appreciated that. And smart, like, I love that, uh, like, when she kind of gets the 
torch passed to her or whatever, that she's going to be the next demon knight, um, that she had the idea to, like, dump the blood on her or, like, drink it or, like, put it in her mouth. Like, she's, like, taking what she's learning in a very short period of time about the rules of this situation um, yep. and building on them very logically and uh, and strategically in a really cool way. Um, and, yeah, like, also just something about Jada Pinkett Smith, I think, like, just, number one, she's just, like, gorgeous. But mm-hmm. her eyes are so emotive. Like, just there was a lot of shots, I feel like, of just, like, her looking at things or her thinking about things where her eyes were telling you, like, so much more than anything else going on in the scene. Um, Yeah. And I just thought that was so cool. Because I feel like a lot of times, too, with – even when we have – a lot of times when we have a final girl that we love, a lot of times they're really – timid or really meek and um it's like they don't get their power until right at the end and right to me her character like Geraldine was a character who had a power and a presence all along and it wasn't like she had to discover it it was like it was more like everybody else just had to kind of get out of her way yeah. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. I, I do have to say that I actually read her introduction really differently, mm. which is that I felt like the way that, like, I thought, because so much of her introduction, as I, as I think you would agree, is, like, premised on the way that she interacts with, um, with Irene, CCH Pounder's mm-hmm. character. And I read all of those interactions as being much more indicative of Irene being, like, a pretty um, shitty supervisor who is, like, taking advantage of the fact that uh, that she doesn't really have a lot of options. Like, mm-hmm. she's on work release. Geraldine's on work release. If she doesn't stay at this job and, you know, like, get good marks for being at this job, she's going to go to jail. And it felt like CCH Pounder is like, do this and do that. You know, like, she tells her hey, I need you to take this guy to his room. And Geraldine says, but you wanted me to clean the stove and I'm doing that. And yes, at first she's like, well, your gloves look clean, so I don't think you're actually actually cleaning it. But then after she takes the guy up to his room, Irene's like, make him dinner. So she goes to make him dinner. And then Irene comes in and is like, did you clean the stove yet? Probably not with all your prattling on. And it's like, she's asking her to do so many things that you couldn't possibly do them all in that amount of time. And to me, it read much more like, like Geraldine is this like, put upon person who because of the fact that she has some kind of criminal record that she is trying to handle, she is stuck in this situation where like, she's just not being given any agency or respect at all. And then the movie kind of flips it where it's like, now you actually have this ultimate responsibility. That's really important. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think there's something really interesting too, about the way that, um, you know, we see through flashbacks that uh, Breaker got this job, this calling from uh, a fellow soldier during World War One. They are both white men. Um, the guy who we assume was the original one, uh, 
while he does not, I mean, while presumably he's not a white person because he was living in Nazareth at the time of the crucifixion, the actor sure looks like a white guy playing someone who was, uh, could have been living in Nazareth at that time. Mm -hmm. But it sort of feels like the, the presumption from the flashbacks that we see is that like, this is a man's job and this is a white man's Mm -hmm. job. And it's really cool to have him say to Geraldine, like, you are the right person for this. Like, this is your job, you know? Yeah. Like, this is so, I think, I just think that's really cool. And there's, like, there's a lot of weight to that. Um, Because what I read originally is that uh, the studio wanted Cameron Diaz to play Geraldine and... The director, uh, Dickerson, fought really hard to have Jada Pinkett Smith. And I think it is very uh, worth noting that, of course, to a bunch of studio heads who are probably white, they're like, an actress is an actress, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. But a black director is able to say, like, no, there's a pretty big difference between this being a white actress or a black actress. and. The, there's so much more of a punch to this movie with the racial dynamics being there than there would have been if it was just Cameron Diaz playing someone out on work release. That's interesting, too, because I thought watching it, I was like, I wonder if this part, this part feels to me like it was not necessarily written. It was like, it was either like in my head, mm-hmm. I was like, it was either written for a white woman originally or it was just not it was just written with no race in mind. Um, right. It kind of, and also, like, just the way that her character was in general, it reminded me a little bit of Ghostbusters in that one thing that we both loved about the female Ghostbusters was, like, walking out of that movie and feeling like so much of the characters were written, like, they could have been written for anyone, and they just happened Mm -hmm. to be being played by women. And that, I also got that feeling about, Geraldine too it was like there wasn't too much about her that was like overtly gendered like and I felt like that even when I mean I guess like he tries to seduce her um or like tells her she's beautiful and that she can like travel the world um if she wants to um but I don't know like and maybe that's also just a credit to to Jada Pinkett Smith but it didn't feel like her character was like overly gendered throughout the movie. And they're not, they're not using racial stereotypes to to, like, to your point, it could have been played by a white woman or a black woman because they're not relying on any woman racial stereotypes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. This could have been played by, and to your point, because it's not terribly gendered, this could have been played by anyone. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not, they're not, insinuating all of these stereotypes about what it means to be black, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be this, um, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, I wanted to share um, a couple of quotes that I had read about the movie. So um, this is from Nerdist uh, and the article on Nerdist is written by Ty Gooden. Um, And she wrote, In the horror movie world, she's the type of character who is typically expendable so that the real leading person, in this case, Frank Breaker, played by William Sadler, could defeat evil and triumph. 
Most Geraldine-S characters are there for witty quips, eye candy, and to often sacrifice themselves for others. But Geraldine soared past horror movie tropes and persistent stereotypes to quickly establish herself as a vital part of the narrative. Um, and that article, I'll link to it in our show notes, but it's cool because the article sort of talks about the fact that the way this movie ends, it certainly could have had a sequel. We see Geraldine mm -hmm. sort of continue on and then we see another collector who this time is played by a black man and uh i wonder what you think of that reading that i was like oh i didn't even think of that but it would have been so awesome to get to have a sequel to this where we just get to see her be a collector for the whole episode or the whole movie yeah though. i um well it's that's a hard one for me only because while i did enjoy this movie i don't know that i would want to watch another one <laughs> no you you wouldn't buy into the franchise i don't think so so that's a hard one for me like that's fair. i yeah i don't know like i like i like i like where you're going with that but at the same time i did feel like this movie at the, like also is sort of bogged down a bit by its era and um I don't know, like, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, and I, I'm scared to say this out loud, like, I feel like I'm going to get hate mail. Like, I don't really love, like, From Dusk Till Dawn, mm -hmm. and this feels a lot like that kind of movie, too. It, re it really does. I actually just saw From Dusk Till Dawn for the first time not long ago, and it, I was, I thought of it many times watching Yeah, the movie. and, like, I think that, that kind of movie was popular at this time. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to articulate it properly, but just that this movie was enjoyable for sure. Fun for sure. Um, and I, and I was pleasantly surprised by it and thought that it had a lot of really good qualities, but at the same time, like it is still like, a Tales from the Crypt movie from 1995 and that that did like hinder the experience to sure. a degree. I think that's that's I think that's totally okay. fair. <laughs> I, I I hope you won't get uh, Please don't come for, for me that, just I think, for I mean I think I've right. seen it a couple times. It's just, I just mean it's like not my favorite. <laughs> from Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. I think that's fine. <laughs> um yeah, that's fine. Uh, so I wanted to read another quote. This is from uh, Graveyard Shift Sisters. Um, folks may be aware of um, the woman who writes Graveyard Shift. Wow, that's harder to say than, it's, than it should be. <laughs> Graveyard Shift Sisters. Wow, I did great. Um, okay, so people may well be aware of uh, Ashley Blackwell. She was one of the talking heads in Horror Noir, as well as a producer in the documentary. She is uh, Ashley Takes Note on Twitter. She actually did a list of a ton of Black Final Girls, which is one of the uh, ways that I was reminded that we should watch this movie. But she wrote an article about Black Final Girls on her blog, Graveyard Shift Sisters, in which she writes about Jer Geraldine. Geraldine had some run-ins with the law that landed her in a motel hell work release that would seal her fate for several lived lifetimes. 
But she also was a dreamer. The way she went on to defeat Billy Zane as the demon at the end spoke more about his underestimation of Geraldine. So, like I said, I think this is a movie where, like, she is set up as someone who sort of has very limited options and has maybe been put into a box and underestimated by people around her. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really cool. Like, let's talk about, like, we've mostly hit on this, but just to really get it right on the head, like, let's talk about her final showdown with Billy Zane. Um, so she, she gets the mark. She is now the demon knight. Um, and so she goes behind several boxes and she strips down into just a tank top and her underwear and a pair of socks and dumps all the blood in the cross key on top of her because Billy Zane can't touch it. Mm -hmm. So that, which is super smart. So she's like, I know he's going to get up here. I know he's going to find me. But this way he can't touch me. Um, and then he, you know, wraps her in a shower curtain and takes her to a bathroom and washes all the water off. I was incredibly impressed with how effectively that cold water got all the blood off of her entirely white out. I know, right? <laughs> Especially the tank top. I was like, right, because blood just washes out that easy. Yep, it just comes all the way off. Um, but then, like you said, she fills her mouth with the blood and then waits till the perfect moment to spit it all directly into his face and eyes, um, which kills him. But I think it's really cool. And I alluded to this at the beginning that like, there's really not a lot about this scene or this sequence that's like super male gazy or exploitative. Like it seems, it reminds me a lot of the way Ripley shot an alien where it's like, yes, Jada Pinkett Smith is gorgeous, but the focus is not on, her being attractive or sexy. It's like, look how fucking strong she yeah. is. You know, like, look how capable she is. Yeah, even when, um, like, one thing I like, too, is that when she put the, she put the less, rest of the blood in her mouth while he was distracted, but then she had to hold it in her mouth for a really long time. For so long. And I really appreciated that they didn't have her acting as if, she had nothing in her mouth and like yes. playing along with like, there's two ways that that scene could have gone. She could have like played along with Billy Zane and like tricked him with like her feminine wiles to get close enough to spit the blood on him. But instead it was like, he would not stop talking. She was like in pain from her wrist being broken and was like clearly struggling to act calm and, or, like, keep a, a straight face while holding this blood in her mouth. Right. And I really like that it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like we're going to show you her drinking the blood and then she's going to basically, film, like, do the next scene as if there's no blood in her mouth and then, surprise, she'll spit it on him. It was like, mm -hmm. we're going to show you her putting it in her mouth and we're going to show you, like, that she has to, like, work and be strong and keep that plan in place for the entirety of this next totally. scene while Billy Zane won't shut up. Like, yep. that was, I think, like, a moment where they could have filmed her in, like, this unrealistic way where she could have been, like, demure and, like, and, like, tricking him that way. As opposed to, it was like you said, where it was like, it was his own stupidity or like his own 
things that brought him down. And she just kind of, like, sat there with her, like, strength of having to hold that gross-ass blood in her mouth for that long. And and waited for him to kind of destroy himself enough that she could get close enough to spit in his face. Yeah, I think I think that's a perfect way to put it. Like she reminded me a lot of Sydney, which because I just rewatched Scream pretty recently. Um, that like she's so capable and she's so smart and she's like always thinking, uh, which I love. I also had to ask you, Hannah, because I know you're a huge fan of this video. Did any of this movie give you like significant fade vibes? The Kanye <laughs> West music video? Yeah. Because I for sure was like, oh, Kanye watched a lot of Demon Knight when he was younger. I suppose, especially there's that one moment where there was like a spotlight on them and they were dancing. Yes. Or when there's a spotlight on her just like kneeling on the ground mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Fade. Um, and another thing that I've been watching recently that it reminded me of is there's this whole segment where he's like telling her that he's going to take her with him because no one's ever brought a demon knight back in one piece. Yeah. So he's going to like take her to, uh, to hell with him, presumably, or to whatever dimension he's from. Uh, and they're sort of like, he's like com- compelling her to dance. And it reminded me so much of once more with feeling, which I also yeah. just watched, uh, the Buffy movie. So I don't know if you got that vibe at all, but I was like, or the Buffy episode, just having him like dance with her and tell her how, like, he thinks he loves her, and maybe she could love him, too, and they're gonna, like, go be a power couple in hell together. Uh, it just had significant, uh, once more with feeling vibes that I really appreciated. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially, yeah, but again, and I also felt like that dance, too, that, like, dance sequence, it was more like her, you could also see her, like, tensing, and, mm-hmm. and, like, being really like um, stiff, so it didn't feel like they were shooting her body in that moment either. Like as anything else, other than just like trying to portray like her strength in that moment. Yeah, and her sort of like trying to resist him, and also trying to figure out when's the best time to spit all this blood in his face. Yeah, exactly. Which was awesome. Um, Hannah, that's all the notes I have on this movie. Do you have anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. I enjoyed the little thing with like the little boy reading the comic book and then the comic book simultaneously showing you what was going to happen. And I love the look of the creature that he turned into. So gross though. Why were there so many tongues licking things so many yeah so many of the demons in this have faces that like unhinge and fall apart and, and he stuck his tongue inside wild. someone's wound which is disgusting but it was a um but amazing to look at <laughs> <laughs> very well um, done now now hannah our in later news for this week is kind of a cheat but since we haven't had an episode in such a long time um it felt like an appropriate cheat to make. So we are recording this on May 9th. It should be released today. So as you're listening to this, I read an article last week on Screen Rant called The 10 Most Anticipated Horror Movies Coming to Theaters in 2021. Now, 
Some of these still have very few details out. And if you're a horror fan, you know that there's a high probability that some of these are not going to come out this year at mm-hmm. all. Um, but since some of them are movies that we've been waiting for and some of them are movies that I didn't know were coming, I thought that we would could run through them and do a quick, uh, quick reaction to the ones that I run through. Okay. Okay. First one. These are in order of like how soon they're coming out. So this one is being released next week. It is Spiral from the Book of Saw. Aha, yes. And this is a thing that like I wouldn't be looking forward to necessarily except that it's going to have Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson in it. So I'm kind of into it. Yeah, I'm I'm into it because honestly watching season 4 of Fargo, I have a newly renewed love of Chris Rock. Um and kind of a little bit of a boner too. So I'll totally watch totally watch that. <laughs> nice. So you're ready to watch him be like a grizzled detective in a song. Uh, yes. Squishy. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Lord. Okay, the next movie, number nine, A Quiet Place, which will be released in theaters, at least as of right now, May 28th, A Quiet Place 2. What do you think? Super excited for that one. Me too. Me too. I, I, there's like this part of me because for those of you that saw the original A Quiet Place, um, there's just something about the experience of watching that in theaters, you know, it was the first time that I had seen a movie like that in theaters that is like, it's completely silent. Everyone in the theater was completely silent. You could hear a pin drop. It was really cool. I don't know if you can recreate that, like that vibe and that sensation in some ways. It sort of reminds me of thinking about um, how angry people have been at every episode or every season of Stranger Things since it started. Mm -hmm. And what I always think is, like, you're not actually mad at this season of Stranger Things. You're angry that, like, no, no season of Stranger Things can live up to the first one because the experience of watching Stranger Things was so unique at the time. And the experience of the show itself was so unique that you're not going to get that back. And so I'm trying to prep myself for that with this movie where it's like, I might not get it and that's okay. Yeah, and I know that... Um initially John Krasinski was really not trying to do a sequel. Um, So I also kind of hope that since he did come around that, you know, like it, it, it will be good. Um, But also I think since this is more like, um, I think going into it, it's going to be a little bit less like here's daily life in this weird apocalyptic scenario like situation and here's more like we're on the offense instead of defense like Mm -hmm. I think you kind of have to expect there's going to be a bit of a difference in the vibe because it's like yeah it's we're going to take down the monsters as opposed to as much of like we're just going to try to live totally totally okay number eight which I had no idea was even a movie that was in production (laughs) The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do mm-hmm. It. So apparently there's a new The Conjuring movie coming out in June, uh, which I didn't know about. Uh, how do you feel about that one, Hannah? I think I I don't guess. do ghosts, so I haven't seen any Conjuring movies. I did see the trailer for that one. Um, it's an interesting 
premise. Like, I know that there's, like, a legal aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a part in the trailer where I think Patrick Wilson is, like, you know, when you testify in court, you swear on the Bible, which means you're, like, recognizing the existence of God. So why can't you also, like, why are you not also recognizing the existence of the devil at the same time? Um, which I was like, okay, interesting. Interesting little thing there. But again, I don't do ghosts, so. Mm-hmm. Fuck Fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have really mixed feelings because uh, I I actually think that the first Conjuring movie was an incredibly solid, just like, top-tier horror movie. I hated the Conjuring 2, I know that people uh, really liked it and that's fine, but it's based, listen, I'm a person who does believe in ghosts and that movie is based on a story that has been like very widely debunked. So I just don't find that to be that hmm. interesting. Anyway, I'm going to watch this anyway because Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Farmiga are great. Uh, even if the real Warrens were like maybe terrible hucksters, uh, they play a great, like, they play like a, a really great. You know, I don't know how you say her name. Taisa Farmiga? Tasia? Mm-hmm. I don't know how you say it. Did you know she's... I, I always thought she was Vera Farmiga's daughter. They're sisters. sisters. <laughs> I was also shocked when I learned this, but I feel like you're the person that told um, me that before. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Number seven. Another movie that I didn't know was coming. Forever Purge is coming <sighs> out July 2nd. Little is known about the plot, but fans do know that it's titled The Forever Purge and that it will be the fifth and final installment in the movie franchise, along with the TV series of the same name. Uh, I feel meh about it. The Purge movies are always kind of fun, but I don't know. Yeah, I know. I I felt like the one that, the election year one was the last one I saw, and that one was, like, a little too close to home because of, like, I was like, this feels scary, like, this... I just don't get the same enjoyment uh, I used to out of watching, like, conservatives with guns because it feels like a very real threat. (laughs) I can't imagine why. Um, Okay, we're going to blow through the last couple. Number six, The Night House, coming out July 16th, um, starring Rebecca Hall. It appears to be a terrifying intermingling between a ghost story, the Twilight Zone, and the Invisible Man. Interesting. I'm very excited about that one, but it says fans of supernatural horror can watch this one in theaters this summer, which means Hannah probably won't like it. (laughs) Uh, Number five, Don't Breathe 2 is coming out in August. Didn't know they were making a sequel to Don't Breathe. Um, How? What do you mean, how? Like, how? Somebody else is going to break okay, we're into gonna his spoil house? Don't, <laughs> we're going to spoil Don't Breathe. No, but um, what's the girl's name who was also in uh, Evil Dead? Jane. Um, Jane. Jane Levy. Yeah, she gets away and this guy lives. Oh, so he's going to so come So I presume it's going to be him coming after her. Oh, yeah. okay. Here's the thing. Um, I loved that movie up until they were like, he's keeping someone in his basement and using a turkey baster to inseminate her. And I was like, nope, I'm out. So uh, that really, like, truly ruined what could have been a super effective thriller for me. So I don't particularly care about the second one. I'm not going to lie. I still like that movie. (laughs) I'll probably watch it because I really like Stephen Lang. And I I didn't hate the turkey baster thing. (laughs) 
And I assume they won't do the turkey baster again, which I was... Here's the thing is, I just felt like they didn't... I don't know. It's a bigger (laughs) issue. It just felt like they didn't uh, give enough weight to the fact that that was, like, very clearly sexual assault, not just, like, a fucked up thing to be doing to someone. Oh, yeah. And so I just... I didn't love the vibe of it. I wish they could have done something different, but it's fine. Um, Number four. This is the one that I'm the most excited about, and they're releasing it right before my birthday. Candyman is finally coming out in theaters in August. Oh, yeah. Uh, We will definitely be doing this on the show. Uh, We can't fucking wait. Uh, I'm hoping that we can cover this and the OG. Maybe do like a cool double feature like we did with uh, The Craft. Did we do that with The Craft? We did, right? Oh, well, we did it with something. I don't remember. Anyway. Black Christmas? <laughs> Black Christmas! I knew it was one of those things that misogynists didn't God, like. Sophie, it's like, do you even, like, know this podcast? <laughs> All women are the same. Anyway, number three, Malignant, coming out September 10th. Uh, get this. James Wan has had his hands full with his work in the DC Extended Universe as well as the Conjuring Universe, but not too busy to direct a totally original horror flick. There is very little information out there about the plot. Even the trailer is vague. Uh, Boasted by ads to be one of the scariest movies ever made. We'll see about that. Malignant will be released in theaters and on HBO Max on September 10th. Fun! I fucking love James Wan, so Uh, I love that. Jeremy got... Jeremy got butthurt that it was like, oh, yeah, he's doing this movie, but not the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> um, number two, I lied. The one I'm actually most excited about, Halloween Kills, October 15th. Bah, 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 I'm very bah, excited for that, too, bah. because it's also a crossover with one of my other favorite things, Real Housewives. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Kyle Richards. Uh-huh. I know this because of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's that. And number one, the last horror film as of now that's scheduled to be released this year. This is the one that made my fiance Jeremy lose his shit. October 29th, Antlers is finally that was coming out. I was, gonna, I was about to ask. I was like, is Antlers on this list? Like, what the hell? <laughs> Antlers is coming out October 29th. Finally, Antlers. Yeah, I'm ready for that. You can't just tell us there's a Wendigo horror movie coming out and then not release it. Mm-hmm. It's rude. So uh, that's your in later news. Some of those movies uh, have women in them and or have female directors. And so we're going to count it. Um, that's all I've got uh, this week, Hannah. If people want to find you on the internet, is there anywhere they can do that? Um not really, but you can buy my shirts at bettershirts.org. Um, still going strong with that. And I'm getting ready to release some new products for the summer. So check that out. And I have an Instagram where you can see like shirts and um, other things I'm working on, which is uh, Better Shirts Chicago. Uh, if you want to follow me, I write over at Bloody Good Horror. You can go over there to check out my horror reviews. You can follow me on Instagram at Phillies Femme. That's Phillies like the baseball team, Femme like the French lady. You can follow me on Twitter at the same name. Um, and if you'd like to follow our podcast's Twitter 
Or if you'd like to reach out to us, maybe you want to send Hannah some words of affirmation or you want to tell us what you thought of this movie. You can message us on Twitter. We are at 28 days lady underscore ER. Or you can write us an email at 28dayslatier at gmail.com and maybe we'll read it on the show. Thank you all for being here. We know this episode ran kind of long, but we had a blast recording it. Uh, And maybe Hannah enjoyed it enough to come back and do it again. What do you think, Hannah? Eh, we'll see. (laughs) Well, I tried, folks. (laughs) Um, All right, Hannah, do you have anything you want to tell the good people? Yes, of course. Always pee after sex. Clink, clink. Ooh, that was good. We're a little.